So this morning, uh, we are going to change pace a little bit, you guys, and we're going to start this series leading up to Christmas called Peace Out of Chaos. And this morning, I want to talk a little bit about a chaotic past. Um, and we'll be in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, so if you want to prepare yourselves to read along, but Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 is where we'll be. And, and I want to begin by just sharing with you years ago, my uncle... Uh, on my dad's side, my uncle took up a hobby, and this hobby was genealogy. And I got a, I got a slide behind if somebody can pop that up, but he, uh, he went deep into our family's past. Um, the guy went just crazy. And, you know, he purchased a mem- membership to Ancestry.com and did all that he could over a year or so here in the States, and then he just couldn't get enough, so he actually booked a ticket and went overseas to continue to research our family history, even knocked on this lady's door, told her we're cousins, and her and her husband housed him for three days while he learned more about the family. So, uh, but he was able to trace our family roots clear back to the 1500s. If you look way up in this corner, um, this is my family, and, and the farthest that my uncle got back was a gentleman named Hans Graden, was born February 6, 1563, in Sicilland, Switzerland. And uh, it, was just, it was just really cool to see all the things that he discovered through this research. He actually discovered that still, in Switzerland, we have a registered family crest. You know, those medieval shields that people have? Well, we, we still have one in our name. And in Switzerland, there's actually a town that has the Graydon Elementary School and the Graydon Grocery Store. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, But he went all out, and uh, it was really neat to see this. He actually presented this at one of our family reunions years and years ago. And one of the other things that he discovered, and I'll share a little bit about that, was um, we weren't German. Thought we were. You know, we we have eaten tons of sauerkraut (laughs) over the years, and Braunschweiger, and Bratwurst, you know. We're German, and that's what Germans do. And he broke the news to the family that we're Swiss. And you guys, honestly, some of the family members just regretted, regretted to, or excuse me, just denied it. No, we're German. And, uh, and so it was just unique to see that some of these truths that my, my uncle discovered um, were hard to receive. But knowing your lineage can tell you a lot about who you are. And some of us know our lineage, some of us don't. And it can tell you different things about your family. For example, um, like I said, I was brought up to know that we're German and we're Swiss. That was hard to swallow. I also, in my lineage, is my grandfather, Victor Graydon. He served in World War II, also served in the Korean conflict, was drafted twice. He said he was sure that somebody on the draft board just didn't like him. That's why he kept getting drafted. But he served faithfully. And, and he was the only member in our family that we thought was in service. But come to find out through my uncle's research that my great-great-grandfather, Friedrich, who was the immigrant to the States, also, when he got his, um, he, when he became a U.S. citizen, he quickly enlisted in the, the Missouri militia and served in the World War, or excuse me, served in the Civil War, like the last eight months. And so that was interesting. We actually found some photos of him. From back then, we could actually follow. My uncle actually researched his uh, group of men that he served with and the skirmishes and the battles that he fought in. 
And he came out and was alive and, and lived the rest of his life down in southern Missouri. I also remember attending family reunions when I was young, and, and my grandfather was one of 11 children, two girls, nine sisters, or two boys, nine sisters. And as all of us younger grandchildren were, were growing up, we were taught the family rhyme that, that listed grandpa and his siblings in order. And to this day, I can still say it. It starts with Papa Mama, that was my great grandfather and my great grandmother. Papa Mama, Paula Stella, Edna Ruby, Helen, Emma, Victor, Earl, Ruth, Esther, Marguerite. That was our family. My grandfather was named Victor, supposedly because when he was born after a long string of daughters, my great-grandfather, because they couldn't be in the birthing room, when the doctor called out and said, it's a boy, my great-grandfather yelled, victory, thus naming his son Victor. I also, just with family things, I also remember being very confused was when I was at these family reunions in southern Missouri because all of my grandfather's sisters would say our last name, Grodden. However, I grew up knowing my last name as Graydon. And I just thought these ladies were nuts. They weren't saying our last name right until my grandfather explained to me that when he went into the service, his drill sergeant would not say his last name right. He kept saying Graydon. And my grandpa said I didn't have the guts to correct him because he never corrected a drill sergeant. And so he just changed it to Graydon rather than saying Graden. He said it actually worked in my benefit because it was more of a German-sounding name and we were overseas fighting the Germans and it just wasn't good to have a, great, uh, a German name. So, so he and his brother switched the pronunciation to Graydon. And so even our family reunion, there's, there's discrepancy in how you say our last name. Is it Graden or is it Graydon? So you can see lineages, if you look at them, can be very meaningful. They can be insightful. They can be interesting. They can tell you a lot. But you know, the purpose is that they validate us to some degree. It's who we are. Today we're beginning a little change of pace as we prepare for Christmas and the celebration of the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, the, and this change today will begin in the book of Matthew, as I mentioned earlier. And when you get there, I'm sure it won't take you very long to realize that we are going to read the genealogy of Jesus. Yay! To be honest, this is the passage that I have skimmed as I've read through my Bible before. It's boring, no doubt. To read name after name after name is truly an uninteresting part of Scripture. Unless you're a genealogy geek like my uncle, these passages of Scripture are often given little notice and sometimes passed over so that we can get to the good stuff. But why is it there? Why is it in there? Why would God encourage the author of this book to record the genealogy? How is this important part of the story? Well, the truth is it does have significance. And we need to know that if God deemed it worthy of our knowledge, we need to pay attention. If it's present in the Bible, we need to read it and we need to know it. So today... I want to spend some time 
And I want to show you Jesus' past. And in his past, you guys, it wasn't perfect. It was a bit chaotic. So read with me, and I'm going to try not to butcher these names. Read with me in chapter 1 of Matthew, verse 1. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconia, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconia was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, and Abiad, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Iliad, and Iliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ." So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. There's a lot of names in there, isn't it? Some familiar and some aren't. Some have significance and some have less significance. Some are men and some are women. Some are famous, some are not so famous. However, they all lead to the birth of a Savior. A Savior that has not come from a a normal Lineage. In fact, in Jesus' family tree, there are quite a few people that you would assume would not lead to a Savior. Today, I want to pull out three very important things that we, we can see in this passage of Je- Jesus' family. Three things that can teach us the significance of this Savior who was born to us on earth, who lived a human life, and who died on a cross for people that didn't deserve it. To begin, I want you to see that Jesus is actually the promise, a long-time promise to mankind. 
And this promise was made in the very beginning. Many commentators believe that, that the promise of a Savior was first revealed in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15, where that passage is God speaking to Satan, and God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you and her offspring. He shall bruise your heel. There it is, you guys. He shall bruise your heel. Or excuse me, he shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, the entire scripture is mentioning Jesus from the beginning to the end. It's the story of our Savior. And right here in, in one, verse 1 of Matthew, we see the author right away ties Jesus to past history people who are very well known in the Jewish culture and even known in the Gentile culture at that time. In verse 1, it says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. There are the two names, the two big famous names. See, the author did this I believe to gain belief and confidence in the Jewish culture, but also in the Gentiles of that time of who Jesus was. Most everybody knew those two names and they respected those names. They revered them. God promised Abraham a lineage of, lineage of many nations. And thus that led to King David and then it leads to Jesus. Now, King David, again, is a very well-known name in Scripture. This is the very same David that was a shepherd boy to his father's livestock, younger brother to all of Jesse's sons. David was this very same young man who believed that God would follow him through his entire life. He's the very same young, same young man that actually delivered food to his brothers while they were away at war. And when he showed up, he found his brothers and their army paralyzed by the sight of a giant. He's the very same young man that understood that God was greater than this giant. And even though he was scary looking, he rushed toward Goliath knowing that Jesus had his back and he slayed him with a stone and string. What an incredible person who had a credible in faith, but yet he was incredibly human. As David grows and gains position of gains the position of king over Israel, we see him doing something incredibly wrong and stupid. A moral sin that's something a man of God should not do, but he does it anyway. He takes the wife of Uriah, one of his greatest commanders, her name is Bathsheba, and having an adulterous relationship with her, they produce a son that God does not let live. And David realizes this sin through the prophet Nathan, and he, even though he endures the punishment of God, David writes his relationship with him and continues to lead the nation of Israel in the direction of the Lord. Definitely not a perfect man. Definitely led a life of chaos. Tying these names with the names of the Savior gives us Credibility and even shows the promise that has come true. 
the very ability to trace this lineage from Abraham to Jesus again shows that this man, Jesus, is something significant. And the scriptures are showing that here. From, genera- excuse me, Gena- uh, from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. Second, I want to show you even more chaos in this passage. I want to show you that Jesus doesn't come from perfect stock, so to say. His family has a history of issues that, as I mentioned before, you wouldn't think a Savior comes from. I don't know why, but in my very human thinking, I would expect that that Jesus would come through a long line of very famous and well-respected people who were blemish-free. But that's not the case here. First off, we see four different women mentioned in this passage through the lineage of Jesus. And truthfully, uh, in and of itself, that is something strange to see written. Most often during these times, it was the name of men that were recorded in lineage, not women. However, we see it mentioned here. First, we see Tamar in verse 3, the mother of Perez and Zerah. Now, if you recall this Old Testament passage, Tamar was was the daughter-in-law to Judah. She was married to his son Ur. However, because of his wickedness, God killed him. She was then given to Judah's next oldest son, which was the tradition of the culture, Onan. Onan intentionally avoided a pregnancy with Tamar, so God killed him too. And Judah was left with one son who was much younger than Tamar. And although the custom promised that that son would be Tamar's husband, as he grew older, Judah just kind of forgot about it. And the marriage never happened. So in order to have children, Tamar disguised herself and actually slept with her father-in-law and gave birth to two sons, Perez and Zerah. And then through Perez, the lineage of Abraham continued. A little chaotic, don't you think? Another woman mentioned is Rahab in verse 5. Rahab was actually a Gentile prostitute who lived in the city of Jericho. She's found in the book of Joshua in chapters 2 and chapter 6. But when the city of Jericho was being surrounded by the Israelite army and they were making plans to conquer this city, Joshua sent two spies into the town. And in their need, Rahab hid them for their safety. And she made them promise that when the Israelite army attacked, that her and her family would be safe. And so they kept that promise. And when Jericho came tumbling down, Rahab was protected. And Rahab lived the rest of her life in Israel. Ruth was another woman mentioned in verse 5. Ruth was actually a Moabite and would eventually become the daughter-in-law of Rahab. Again, she was another woman that wasn't Jewish. You see, Ruth was extremely loyal to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and it is a very great story. After the death of Ruth's husband, she could have gone back to her own people, but she remained with Naomi to take care of her. And through her faithfulness to her mother-in-law and the faith of her husband's family, she met Boaz. 
And the story of Boaz and Ruth is one of the most God-honoring stories of courtship in the Bible. When Ruth remarried into this family, it made her the daughter-in-law of Rahab too. Another woman who is not mentioned by name but referred to is Bathsheba. In verse 6, we see that the lineage says, And David, the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. The wife is Bathsheba. The object of a lust affection by King David that led to the death of one of his greatest commanders just so he could have the dead man's wife as his own. Again, another chaotic event in the lineage of a perfect Savior born to man. A third and, and another tidbit of interesting lineage in Jesus' line is the mention of Jeconia in verse 11. Now that may not be a name you recognize. Jeconia's father was Josiah, and that might be a name you remember. Josiah was the boy king. He became king when he was very young, and when he became king, he took the Jewish nation back to worshiping God. Prior to him, his father and, and grandfathers turned from God and began to worship idols and different gods, but Josiah, at about the age of 12, began to deconstruct the religions of his forefathers. And he returned to his quote, seek the God of his father David, referring to King David, who was generations behind. Josiah reigned for somewhere of around 31 years till he was succeeded by his first son, and that led to King Jeconia. Now, King Jeconia became king right when Judah was being invaded by the Babylonians, and Jeconia was not a great king. In fact, God will curse his lineage because of his acts. Jeconia was only king for a period of about three months until his kingdom crumbled and they were taken over and exiled into Babylon. And at this point, the nation of Israel was no more. And God made a promise to the lineage of Jeconia in Jeremiah 23, verse 30. And it said this, Thus says the Lord, Write this man down as childless. A man who should not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling in Judah. You see, God promised that his offspring would never become king of the Jewish nation. And we see now, though, Jesus, the king, listed as in the line of Jeconia. Well, that struck me, you guys. God curses this man and says, nobody will ever become king, and yet somehow Jesus becomes king. It led me to look into things a little bit, and here's the interesting thing that I saw in verse 16. It says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, is called Christ. Now let me ask you, did you catch that? You see, this lineage led to Joseph, Jesus' non-biological father. 
But wait a minute, this is the lineage of Jesus. Well, it is. But what you find out is at that time, there was two versions that people would record. There was the legal lineage, and then there was the biological lineage. This account here in the book of Matthew is actually the legal lineage of Jesus. From Abraham to Jesus through the legal names, it leads to Christ. Legally, Abraham does make his way to Joseph, who is Jesus' legal father. The man who raised Jesus, the man who accepted Mary as his wife, even though she was pregnant. The man who was told by an angel that he needed to raise this son, for this son would be the savior of us all. This is Jesus' lineage. It's just his legal lineage. Now, just so you know, Jesus' biological lineage is is recorded in the book, book of Luke, chapter 3, verses 23 through 38. And this lineage goes the the other direction in proving Jesus is the succession and promise to Abraham through the son of Adam. But let me explain something. You'll notice in verse 23 of Luke 3, it says this. When Jesus began his ministry, he was about 30 years of age. And being the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, and it goes on, But all of a sudden, there's a discrepancy. It says Joseph has a father named Heli, and yet we know that Jacob was the father of Joseph. And so I found myself going, wait a minute, something's wrong here. The Bible is wrong. Actually, you guys, the Bible is not wrong. You just have to understand what's going on. You have to do your research in passages like this. Heli is actually Mary's father. You see, Joseph is the son-in-law or adopted heir, also considered Heli's son at that time. So this lineage in the book of Luke is actually using Mary's biological line to trace Jesus and his biological ancestry. But legal and biological both lead to David, both lead to Abraham. You guys, it's just further proof that Jesus is who he says he is. If you continue to read all these verses, you'll see that Mary's lineage leads back to David, to Abraham, and to further on, thus fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy that is, is that the Savior will come from the line of David. The book of John 7.42 says, Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David? And that comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 13, God makes a covenant with David saying, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Both the legal And the biological lineage of Jesus recorded in the scripture is proven. The prophecy was fulfilled. Jesus came. What an incredible family history. 
A perfect savior from an imperfect bloodline. And again, we gain knowledge from this verse here, these verses here in Matthew, and we take, if we take a moment just to study a little bit more. Isn't it amazing that God can take man's mess and make something perfect? Now we're entering into a season that unfortunately often promotes chaos. During this Christmas season, we will see chaos in families. Not all families like to get together. And some, when they do get together, they deal with arguments and disagreements and, and just personality issues that, that make it hard to get along. We deal with the chaos of a culture around us that is actually saying anything but Jesus is important during this month. Presents, decorations, spending money, getting together. And so much more becomes so important. Even more important than the story of a much needed Savior. And we deal with the chaos of our faith. Often forgetting the real reason to celebrate as we get caught up with everything that I previously mentioned that our culture says is important. We forget that God sent his son to live among us. That's an incredible, incredible gift. And he experienced life as a man. He understands chaos. And ultimately, he died to rescue us 30-some years later after he was born. Jesus understands this chaos. May I suggest to you this morning, even in this story of chaos, that there is one thing that does make sense. Jesus. He was born to us. And the story is pretty simple, you guys. God gave us to the world. It was his plan of redemption. And you can make it complex, but it doesn't actually have to be. Christmas, a child was born to us, our Savior, and his name was Jesus. And I pray that this season we don't forget that. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for your word, and I'm thankful for even the boring passage. God, I'm thankful for the, the son that you sent, the son that, that came to live a human life, that came despite the chaos in his family history, the son that understands what we go through. God, I thank you for that rescue plan. And God, I pray that as this month continues and the celebrations continue, that we, we concentrate on your son and realize the gift that he is. And that we celebrate this in the right way. In Jesus' name, amen.